Hello, and uh, welcome to Preferred Return. So this is a podcast about private equity and venture capital, or to be more specific about the role of technology within private equity and venture capital firms. My name is Kale. I head up revenue and go to market for Alvia, and I am joined by Jeff Williams, AKA Dubs, who is our SVP of Industry Solutions and Strategy. I wanna say what's up, Dubs? How are we doing, y'all? All right, so our hope is to bring together the best and brightest across the entire industry and have them share some of the best practices, some of the trends they're seeing, and how firms are using technology to gain an edge in the market. Am I missing anything, Dubs? Uh, just, I wanna say that I'm a, going to be making all of the podcast music, and I hope you dig it. Yes, we should be honest. This is ultimately about your life and career as a rock and roller. So please expect some fresh tunes with each episode. Should we get on with the show? Let's get after it. No doubt. Giddy up. Hello, everyone. It's Jeff Williams for Preferred Return. For this episode, we're catching up with Mike Abdella, who's the founder and managing director of Mav Capital Partners. Mav is a search fund, and as I'm going to let Mike explain here shortly, he's effectively a one-man show. So Mav isn't a customer of Alvia, but Mike is sort of like family to Alvia. Uh, And yet, interestingly, this powerhouse, I would call him, of a one-man show is effectively reproducing on a much smaller scale many of uh, the same processes, systems, strategies that uh, our much larger customers are doing at at, uh, larger and you know, more complicated scale. At the end of the day, though, Mike and Mav are competing to find the same target companies and opportunities um, with with those much larger firms. So let's go ahead, jump in, meet Mike, and hear about how he's holding his own against these much larger and much more uh, resourced firms. Tell us a little bit about you. Let's uh, tell us about your background about Mav, you know, and sort of what you're up to and uh, how, you, how you got at it. So I started Mav Capital about two years ago uh, with a group of investors that invest in small businesses and in the search fund space. Um, Mav Capital is a search fund. So basically what I'm looking to do is acquire a small business uh, in, the, in the continental U.S. in certain industries that I'm looking for. Um, but I started the firm. Um, I really got the idea to start Mav Capital when I was at Michigan and working at Huntington Bank, I was getting my MBA part-time and was doing really well, kind of working through the ranks at Huntington and wanted to pursue more of an entrepreneurial-like career. Um, being in sales, I was in, it was in a sales and sales leadership position there. I saw the success and the impact I had in that organization and really was like, hey, there's got to be more than just kind of getting a promotion and an increased salary. and. Um, heard about this thing called the search fund in one of my classes, reached out to a few friends who uh, pursued this path after their graduation from Michigan and really liked their, really liked their journey and their experience that they were having. Some of them have already bought companies. So spoke with a few of them, actually was able to intern with, with one of my friends for a few months. And after that said, you know what, this is for me. Um, so I spoke with a few of their investors that he had referred me to from there. They mentioned, they introduced me to other investors and like 13 days later, I had closed on my fundraise from Hub capital and, you know, kind of had a, a bag of money without knowing exactly what I wanted to do yet. So 
um, spent a few months before I actually started drawing on that, drawing on the capital. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's really how the idea of Moth Capital started. It wasn't like a very, uh, it wasn't as a methodical of a process that I've had some friends perform and do a matrix and analysis on their future career. To me, it was more, um, this is what I, this is what I want out of life. This is where I want to be in future state, Mike. And so what is the best path for me to get there? Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, maybe it would help for those listening that don't, they have no idea how a search fund operates, which I think is, you know, extremely cool. Just tell us a little bit about the mechanics. I mean, you, you mentioned something that those people might they have like a bag of money. You know, this, they made it look easy 13 days, right? So uh, people are out there going, like, what, what is this? How do I do that? What, what is a search fund? What are the sort of mechanics of it? Help us understand that. Yeah, and, and uh, so a search fund, essentially when I raised capital, I raised money basically that would pay my salary benefits and just expenses for traveling and, and paying for research, um, really just my expenses for two years. I raised enough money to, to, to fund myself for two years. So when you mentioned a bag of money, it really wasn't like a, you know, key to the candy shop. But so a search fund, the mechanics are, you have an individual who, or, or a partnership, and really what you're looking at, you, you assemble a group of investors, and those investors back me, Mike Abdella, to go out and acquire a small business. And those investors, their ability to invest in that business is based on the percentage of the, the, the capital they funded me. But they will then serve as advisors to me as I go out and operate that business. So let's say I have an investor group who um, ran a, a software company and I go out and acquire a software company. He would be sitting on my board and helping advise me as I go through and run this small business because he could or she could be like, hey, I ran a business 10 times this size. Here's what I experienced. Here's what you might experience. And here's how I managed it or here's how I should have managed it. So you really, you get that, um, you know, that corporate or executive level help applied to a small business with a young, hungry, you know, aggressive entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Well, and as it happens, I've gotten to know uh, recently one of your backers um, and uh, had quite a few conversations with them. And that's, you know, it's become uh, much more interesting. I've known about search funds for some time, but uh, just what I found is the mechanics of talking and getting to know these folks has created this sort of, oh, wow, you know, this is super interesting. So like, you know, for what's in it for them, obviously an opportunity to bring their expertise to create value in a company. Uh, software company was the example you mentioned, but, um, you know, you, you mentioned the early part of your career, sales leadership and stuff. Um, why, why you, like, why are they backing you? I mean, I I know the answer, but tell us, I mean, the model works because you, you have unique expertise. They back you, they want you to go find the business you like where you can bring value to. And, you know, they, they want to bring some of their expertise, but, but it's really, you know, kind of about you and your, yep. Yep, exactly. Yep. And, and so really the, the model is focused around, you know, who is the entrepreneur? Who is that person that uh, is, is raising the funds, raising the capital? Who's going to be the one managing that business? And what's his or her background? Um, my background has been in sales and sales leadership. I, I had a very successful career. And so uh, in doing that, I was able to communicate, hey, when, I, when I'm acquiring a small business, 
uh, a lot of those small businesses might not have a, a very formal approach to go to market strategy or sales strategy. So, you know, to me, it makes a lot of sense for me to go out and, um, you know, I did very well in the, in the corporate world. When I look at a, a small business and my, the impact that I could have similar to a small business and the ability for me to be, you know, having ownership of that business and taking that company to the next level, that's really attractive to me. Um, you know, again, I could, I could work in the commercial world and, and have a great commission and great income, but it resets every year. And so the idea of being able to compound a growth of a small business year over year, working with the employees, managing, you know, up in the front, uh, that was really attractive to me. Um, yeah. you know, financially it makes a lot of sense, but you know, uh, from a, from a personal goal, it was, it was something I really like to do. Yeah. So I've been talking about this lately. I suspect we're going to end up with multiple subsequent podcast episodes that address some of these things. But generally the thing I've been talking about is, you know, having been in this market for 15 years now, it seems to me like there are more creative ways than ever mm. to deploy capital, right? I mean, liquidity generally in capital markets is just, you know, uh, gone through the roof. And so it's natural to think that the way, you know, pe the way people are imagining to put capital to work, but, but this is not, you know, a SPAC. It's not this thing that, you know, uh, has been there, but not it's sort of dormant and all of a sudden it's coming. It's always been there. Is it fair though, to assume that maybe there's a little bit more of it going on? Like it's sort of another creative way for capital to be deployed or, you know, and I don't know, we can look at industry statistics, but it, just from your perspective is, are we sort of on the rise a little bit? Like, or, you know, where yeah. are we at with search funds? Are they more active, less active? Do you know? Yeah. And so, so the search fund from, from what I understand about it first kind of started off in the mid eighties and really maybe one or two new searchers would be, you know, funded each year. Uh, so it really, this, this model didn't really take off until probably the mid to 2010s, like 2010, 2011, uh, when there's more and more successful outcomes of these people who ran a search fund, sold their business and then said, Hey, that was awesome. I want to go and, you know, fund future generations of what I did. And so it kind of compounded upon itself. I think that, you know, so it started in the eighties. I think last year there was like 75 or 80 new search funds formed. Um, you know, either people from fresh out of grad school or people who are doing a mid career change or late in their career. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's been, I don't know, probably there's probably around 200 operating companies right now that are owned by search funds. And between the years, there's probably been about 600 total still not very big in like the whole general, like, private equity or industrial investing, uh, landscape, but still cottage in its, in its nature, but way bigger today than it was 10 years ago. Got it. And that, so I guess, you know, uh, it, it is fair to assume that, uh, I didn't realize it gone back that far. So that's interesting. Um, and I have to think that like the number of, you know, founder led businesses that were bootstrapped, uh, is, you know, probably at the highest level ever, right? And especially technology companies, because the cost of, you know, building these companies keeps coming down. And so you, in many cases, you've got, you know, founder owned businesses that are were bootstrapped, no capital. And, you know, the, the classic growth equity case where it's like, hey, you know, I have 
a wife and kids. I, my wife has not seen me in 20 years. My kids, you know, are about to go to college and, you know, I'm worth a lot on paper, but you know, it's not going to help. Uh, they don't accept paper, you know, uh, for college. (laughs) And so, you know, that I have to think that, that in part, you know, that's a dynamic that has led to this, but you know, it's grown. Certainly. I think we, we both agree. And so anytime you, uh, see growth like this, you also see competition. I mean, I'm implying that, you know, that there's growth equity yeah. firms that are taking advantage of this, you know, uh, lower cost of, of building technology companies. Certainly, I have to assume that, that the increase in search funds is, is, you know, at least somewhat correlated to that. Tell us a little bit about the competitive dynamics. Like, you know, you're effectively competing against other searchers, right, for, for your backers. Um, what what's what's it like? I mean, what yeah. what uh, mm-hmm. what's the That's competitive point, dynamic? Right? So, and I think it's two sided, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to find backers, but also out there, presumably, you know, competing even if you don't know it with with other you know searchers for some of these companies, perhaps. Yeah, and so I, you know, I would I was surprised that I've only came across one other searcher in like a competitive situation where I wanted to put an offer in on a company out of 3,100 conversations with business owners. Most of the competition is really coming from um, those lower middle market investment firms. So, so really a search funds, if you want to just, you know, hit down the fairway, what they're looking for is a $2 million EBITDA business growing at a double digit growth rate, 10% with 15% EBITDA margins in a business that has kind of identifiable, you know, barriers to entry. So that $2 million size business, it's, you know, 10 years ago, it was, there was really not a lot of options for those business owners to do do something with their business. They have to transition. Do I give it to employees or tell tell a buddy of mine? Um, Search funds were a really good fit for that asset class or for that, for that type of business, because we're going to continue entrepreneurial, you know, legacy. We're not looking to slice and dice it and looking to cut costs and cut headcounts of really suck profitability. We're looking to really grow this thing and invest it for the long run. So, so what's happening is these search funds have been very successful. I mean, to the tune of like 36, 37% IRR for a five, six year hold time, which is great return because of the focus on the business energy, new young energy. But what we're also seeing is those, you know, as the, as there's more capital being infused into investing in private businesses, the number of, of businesses available hasn't grown up, you know, they're caught up with the amount of capital that's being infused. And so you have a lot more competition for those really good businesses. And so you see a lot of those lower middle market firms kind of lowering their threshold. Okay. I was looking for $10 million deals. Now I'm looking for $5 million deals. Now I'm looking playing in that two or $3 million EBITDA range. And so we're going up against, uh, as, as a searcher, you're going up against a, a bigger audience. You're dealing with the more sophisticated financial acquirers versus uh, you know, a search fund who is, has his own level of sophistication, but not really to the, the you know, building a portfolio of businesses. We're looking just for a single business to run. You mentioned 3,100 conversations. That's a lot of conversations, <laughs> man. Um, That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you also mentioned um, in, more cases you're bumping into lower middle market, you know, private equity firms in terms of competition. So the two things, those two things combined are interesting to me. This, we 
the topic du jour on this podcast is um, <laughs> technology's, you know, relationship here. Mm -hmm. You're you're one man show. You're not a customer of ours. It's just you know that uh, obviously, uh, you know, one man show. A uh, little bit probably not a good fit for you know big bad technology for you know big firms like right. we do, but. 3,100 conversations you've had and competing against lower middle market firms that maybe do have some of this. So, you know, help us understand what are you, what are you doing? I mean, I assume you're not just relying upon your memory uh, for, you know, keeping track of 3,100 conversations because you've been back. This is important to you. There's, you know, risk in it for you. What, what yeah. are you, how do you look at technology? You're uh, obviously a, a relatively young man. You're not in your 60s. Um, and so I assume you're technology focused. What What is it that you think about in terms of technology to keep up with what you're doing, but also to compete with these guys? Yep, yep. I mean, really, the 3,100, 3, 3,200 businesses that I've spoken with, I mean, that's on a, reaching out to 11,000 total businesses. And half of which were actually probably in the first six months. but. <laughs> Um, before I started being more efficient with my time and, and energy. So from a software standpoint, I mean, if when, you, when you're doing an outreach campaign to 100 businesses a day or a few hundred businesses a week, I have to have an automated approach. But when you use automation, you can also lose, or when you use automation, you lose that personal approach, right? Because you have a generic outreach and you as a business owner don't want to see that personal or that generic email. You want to see that personal email. Um, you get these generic emails automatically go to your, you know, automatically sent to spam or automatically sent to your trash can. So, so that's a delicate balance that I've been trying to manage. I use an email automation software. I built in the, the, the steps and I also have it plugged into a CRM. So once the business, once it's in conversation, we've had a few discussions, it goes directly into a CRM that's imported and we kind of follow the next steps and follow kind of a pipeline management. And it's really visual and I'm a very visual person. So at any point in time, I kind of know how healthy is my pipeline. At the end of the day, I'm only looking to acquire a single business. And so, you know, there, it could have one conversation, it could have, you know, lead to one offer and it could lead to one closing, but extremely unlikely. So it's good to manage the process and kind of understand where every single business lies in that kind of uh, likelihood of closing standpoint. And to me, it's important for me to get to know quickly. So being able to, uh, to, to use um, matrices and uh, uh, grading scales to determine the, the likelihood of that business being a fit for myself and my investment team, um, the more, the more, uh, more power I have over running, managing my pipeline. Yeah, no doubt. And and I was, it was funny, the visual I had as you were saying that was like, you're trying to appear entirely unlike the, yeah. you know, lower middle market private equity firm emails that are arriving, right? I mean, because that's like your thing, you you know, you, you want to build this relationship of, hey, this is me. I want your business because I want it. And I'm putting, you know, everything on that and that's just a different thing and so you know i like that you're being thoughtful about that because the two can coexist right i mean the, the idea that like um automation takes away from personalization 
is one of these technology problems that it's like, come on, right? This is 2021. We're, we just landed on Mars. We're looking at these high resolution images. We can figure that out. And it turns out we figured it out, figured that out. It's just really a matter of, of uh, you know, putting it uh, into play. I'm curious though, like, so that that's cool that, you know, you've, you sorted that out. How are you, what are you doing to find people to reach out to? I mean, mm. again, you're not, at least looking at you, I don't presume you to be of the age where like the first place you went was the yellow pages or white pages. Yellow somewhere. pages was the first place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yellow pages. I use obituaries and I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's smart. Yes. An obituary <laughs> automation generator. Yeah. Where did, where are you no. going to for, at the top? Right. So you're, you're automating the process of reaching out, but how are you putting things in the top to reach out to of the pipe? Yeah. And, and when I first started, when I mentioned, you know, 11,000 businesses that I've reached out to, half of those were in the first six months. And what I received was, you know, I'd have a conversation with a lumber mill at 11 o'clock and then at 1215, I'll have a conversation with a, you know, a, a, a automate, like a automatic license plate reader software company. And it just was, I was all over the place and having good conversations. Yeah. But not being able to be focused. So, um, I, I worked with my investors and internally kind of built a a matrix on what industries am I interested in? You know, what does it tell my skill set? What type of businesses am I interested in? What do I think the market is growing and having more value and demand for these types of products or services that they're offering? You know, it's a, you know, it's a company growing. And so I spent a lot of time on the front end, uh, putting together lists of industries and then kind of narrow it down into sub verticals. So for example, if I want to go in the aviation industry, when that was an industry uh, aviation, then I wanted to go into maintenance repair and overhaul. And then I wanted to get into like avionics maintenance repair and overhaul. So you keep getting really, really narrow with your outreach. And at that point, I really get to know the industry and study it. And so when I, when I have an outreach and I'm speaking to, you know, I've reached out and I find 500 businesses in this space and we can get to where I find those businesses in a bit. I'm having those types of calls where I'm saying I I can really um, relate to the business owner because I know so much about the business. I've researched it. I'm only having conversations with people in their industry and every single conversation gets better and better and better. Um, and me internally, I can ask a few questions that will uh, quickly vet to see if they're an opportunity or not. Are they going to be efficient operation? How many repairs do you on average do a day? And then I, just, I can say 16 repairs a day, and I can understand maybe it's around $3,500 per repair. I can say, hey, this is pretty good business. Or if they're doing four repairs a week, I can quickly say, thanks, think we're not going to be a fit. You know, best of luck. Um, now where it comes down to finding those businesses, that is a, that is finding the businesses hasn't been as difficult, but finding the contact information is also really critical. Like you don't want to have the spelling of their name wrong, or it's not like, hi, Michelle, instead of hi, Michael. Um, so I've been actually using a mix of a lot of human labor. So I have some internal analysts that I've hired on that help scrub some lists for me. I use, uh, I use Upwork a lot. Uh, Upwork is we have a few go-to people that I've hired for freelancers to help dig for information. Um, I had an intern build a, a web scraping tool that I still don't know how to use uh, two years later, 
but it was really helpful to uh, look at industry attendee conferences, industry lists, um, and then just also reaching out to, or using a, a different type of databases that are kind of built in through school libraries that some of my analysts uh, still have access to. Yeah. Well, you know, it's super interesting. I, um, we had a chance to, to chat prior to today and even still right up until this moment just now it had not occurred to me, but um, in a way you're, you know, I mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, uh, enterprise style CRM automation stuff that never going to be your thing. Um, but in a way it's amazing because you are sort of manually, um, or independently going about attempting to do things that are offered at, you know, large scale. Like I, I immediately, I, I happen to, to really love, um, a web service that is called data Fox and which, um, Mm. we, you know, uh, recommend often to, customers of ours which is it's a it's now a company that's owned by oracle um and you know i think it was a brilliant business i mean effectively what they did was was built ai and ml to interpret what what they sort of consider to be signals right and those are a number of things Mm -hmm. they're new press releases they are um you know uh, regulatory filings all manner of things that then you know, are, are sort of scraped at scale, you know, with technology. And certainly they have analyst teams that, that do this as well. But what they're, you know, ultimately trying to do is, is trying to find things that, you know, signal like, hey, uh, key, a bunch of key executives just left or a bunch of key executives were just hired. And like, I'll, I'll go back to the joke or the example, you know, comical example I gave earlier, which is the founder, um, you know, needing to put kids through school. Like, what if you could use data to say like, hey, uh, we can interpret that, you know, the founder of this company, uh, his daughter was just named, you know, sort of athlete, senior athlete of the year in the state of Iowa or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, right? Like that's this concept that's really interesting to me is like, what are the things out there? I mean, there's explicit things we talked about them. Hey, this company just, uh, filed a regulatory filing or what what kind of filing, you know, does it indicate something that might indicate a willingness or a desire to sell a company or, you know, for that matter. And and data Fox is sort of focused on like, here are the filings and here are the, how they're classified. You do, you do whatever you want. Um, you know, so r- really interesting that, that, you know, what they've done, because it's like, they're just trying to kind of make sense of the filings and then they let you determine what sort of, hmm. you know, kind of algorithm, if you will, you want to apply to the filings, but, you know, super fascinating because that is what, you know, in you're sort of trying to do. I mean, they're, you know, this is a, again, or acquired by Oracle enterprise, great thing, but, um, you're attempting to sort of, you know, recreate some of this stuff at a more reasonable yeah. scale and more reasonable cost for you. And I just find it fascinating that like, that's the sort of stuff that, that we're thinking about, right? I mean, what is out there and publicly available and which can help us start to form things. I mean, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I think that the future of future of investment sourcing yeah. is going to be you know, I mean, it's so in, in many cases for large firms that we work with still very outbound, which is, you know, not, not neither here nor there, 
but it's still very intermediary driven, right? And the whole idea is to go to the intermediaries, like, well, which, you know, who should I be talking to? And I keep warning people, I suppose is the word to use, that like the future is, you know, how do you find out who to be talking to yeah. before you call that person and they tell you? Um, because we are, you know, there is this sort of uh, ozone layer threatening big cloud of exhaust of data out there, you know, to, to use that analogy. And, you know, it's kind of just ugly and noisy when you look at it, but when you start to be able to capture it and, and make sense of it, there, there are ponies in that uh, exhaust cloud and those, those ponies are going to be used and we're already seeing it to, to find signals effectively. And that's why I love you you know, the data Fox is called that. Trigger event, something that makes sense to have an outreach or have some sort of edge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, um, love, love what you're doing. And it's a big, uh, big, uh, standing ovation for you for, for, you know, being technology driven, even as, as sort of a one man show. Um, you just said the edge, the, um, what is it that you're communicating to the um, sellers, to the owners? Uh, because, you know, you're, you're very conscious, you're competing, who you're competing against. Um, what's what's the story you're telling them and how are you doing that? Yeah, I, I, and it really varies depending on the industry in which I'm looking. So let's say I was looking at uh, pest control, for example. There's been a lot of M&A activity in the pest control space. And... Uh, if People I want to spending more time at home these days, yeah. right? Seeing more pests. Yes. Bugs keep coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just a really attractive industry because you have, you sign up these businesses and you sign up these customers and every single month they need some sort of preventative maintenance treatments. So you can really build a nice solid business, you know, growing on that solid, that, that preventative maintenance and those monthly repeats. I really love that industry. Um, I'm not alone in thinking that. And so there's a lot of people going after me. So my approach to uh, an individual who maybe owns a pest control business, I know who I'm up against. I'm up against those private equity firms who might already have a portfolio, would just tuck in every single acquisition into their portfolio brand. So my outreach to those businesses in the pest control space would be, hey, um, I really love your industry. I really love your company. I'm looking to acquire a business not to roll it up and to make it something different than what it is today, but I like what it is today and I want to continue to grow what it is today. So whether it's something small as keeping the name, a lot of business owners take pride in the name. There was a business that I really, really liked, um, still a close relationship with the owner, but a few of the employees had the logo tattooed on their bodies. Like, how are you going to tell them, hey, that logo, you're now part of, you know, right? and that logo doesn't <laughs> mean shit anymore. Uh, you know, being able to touch on those soft spots that I can guarantee, Hey, I'm not going to change. Um, something like that, that can just give me a little bit more wedge and give me that introduction. Cause once I'm having a conversation with an owner, um, I'm confident in my ability to be able to relate to them, to be able to tell them my story and then let them decide if I'm a fit for them. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, it it's an easy story, man. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> we we are oftentimes. Well, I got you convinced, huh? 
Yeah, no, exactly. I'm gonna, yeah, right. I have a pest control <laughs> business. I, yeah, well, we'll, uh, been looking for someone to buy it. Now. Um, no, I mean, look, you know, um, most of my day and most of the conversations I end up with these days are spent, um, you know, like, f- frankly, hearing the same story. And, and it's coming from private equity firms, right? So it's like, well, you know, we ask the question, well, like, what is your edge? What makes you different? Or, or different? And um, and the reality is, is it's the same story over and over. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to throw private equity under the bus. Well, yeah. well look, I, we sell software too. Yeah, right. And, and <laughs> you know, not only am I not looking to to throw private equity under the bus, I, I we're trying to help them. And we're trying sure. to say, you know, um, let's let's help find an edge and let's help develop a story and let's communicate the story and that actually is going to be in in large part you know technology driven it's data driven hey like if if I'm if I have done well at the you know pest control roll up strategy I need data to show you know that that I do it better than anybody else and that you know there's something in in it for you Mr. Business Owner um right to do that maybe i can pay up a little bit even if i know i'm that much better because of the data and and so i'm sitting there asking you this question and i'm like so used to hearing and thinking like well you know are you able to tell that story via data and i hear you say that i'm like that's a good story you know because again who you're competing against oftentimes is like you know that the story may not be there it's sort of hey well you know we've done this before well so have, so have the other firms right and yeah. and uh oh well, we've been together for 15 years so have the other firms right it just keeps kind of being unique and we're encouraging people to think about it from a data perspective but you're a little bit different here you're not those firms and uh your story is pretty compelling for the business owner it's like i'm not gonna you know remove the tattoos of your employees and that yeah. that's meaningful <laughs> It's not included in the purchase price. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. If you need to stick, like companies who don't have that nailed down, their edge, their purpose, why why are they reaching out to that business owner and spending the minutes out of their day each time they look at an email? You don't have the purpose there. You don't say, this is what I'm doing this for. You can't communicate that well. You're gonna get lost in, in, the, in the noise that mm-hmm. is every other person who's in the same category as you. You definitely need to, I don't know how to say this, elevate yourself from saying, this yeah. is how I'm different. This is how I'm Yeah, the word mind. we use is differentiate. You know, it's generic as well, yeah. right? May not be even any better, but concept remains. Yep. Elevate yourself, stick out, differentiate, you know, do something. Um, That's exactly and, right. And and think about it from, from the business pr- perspective, right? I mean, they, the fact that you have been together, that you've done this before, I mean, th- those things actually aren't unique because... It turns out everybody's saying what's in it for me you know we've yeah. done this before okay but why do i care that you've done this before <laughs> like yeah as a business owner what does that mean to me right well and in you know i think the that um we'd all be better off frankly if, if even just you know i'm not saying like go climb a ladder to to elevate i'm saying like take one step up might be the difference sure. and and so we're talking about something relatively simple it might be here is the year over year, you know, growth in companies that we, in terms of the value we've created. Now, um, when we bring that back, I mean, that's, yeah, I started my career, I, uh, you know, uh, basically living in Excel models, trying to come up with these things. And so you can, you know, certainly do that. 
but bringing it back to the earlier part of our conversation, um, at scale, large volume, automation, and the sort of need to develop a razor sharp edge, frankly, to, to cut through the noise and, and to get the deal done. Um, that like I I don't know if throwing analysts at Excel to you know come up with these generic things, these generic figures are enough anymore i'm i'm convinced that you you need to be able to have these things be dynamic like down to you know something very specific about the business in that you know um and and then you also need the ability to find the you know because i use this example oftentimes but um and i mentioned it earlier there's ponies in in the data exhaust is, is something i've said before and what i mean is that like, you know, when you sort of go to your technology, go to your data to find what you're looking for, great. And that's what the analyst model is, right? It's sort of like, okay, I need you to go compute what year-over-year growth rates are in the portfolio of pest control companies. Um, but what, you know, is missing from that oftentimes is that like you, you're going to go, you know what you're looking for, you're going to go try to find it. You may be looking for the wrong thing. And and when technology is deployed successfully in, in our experience, you actually go and look for something and you find a pony instead, right? And you're like, well, that was, that's the thing we should be saying, but no, uh, you know, nobody was asking that question. And we just got an answer, you know, that is the ultimate answer. And so bring it back to automation scale, boom, that stuff's happening, you know, fairly dynamically. It's changing who you're reaching out to, all those sorts of things. That's the modern you know, private equity firm or operation, yeah. frankly, that, that we're trying to enable. And it's super in- interesting to think about it from that's who you're kind of, you know, playing against. You're a little bit more nimble, um, maybe a little bit, you know, culturally different, right? I mean, you're younger, you, you don't operate in the context of an old partnership. And that's the sort of stuff you're thinking about. Yeah. And I mean, when I, when I compare and I see the more successful um, investment firms, they are the ones who are able to have, I guess, what, what do you, how do I, how do I want to describe it? Like, you know, um, very heavy, like opinionated thoughts, but easily to be influenced or changed. Like they, they are focused until they prove that their focus isn't aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, having that focus and then being able to say, Hey, pest control, it's great, but it's, expensive let's shift to something where pest control was five years ago so we can get ahead of that wave like being able to be nimble um and shift your outreach shift your approach shift your your message and your edge appropriately those are the ones that are able to kind of really stick ahead in their competition and in return and value creation and i think that that's i think you're on to something yeah cool well i think you're on to something man um yeah hopefully it, I, I understand you are perhaps close to, to finding something and, and uh, it's got to be very exciting. It is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, uh, we're in the final stages of negotiating, drafting the purchase agreement and a deal that hopefully will be acquired at the end of uh, next month. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, just out of curiosity, like, you know, you've, uh, it, it, it's difficult to appreciate, you know, how much must be going through your head you know, during all this time looking for these businesses and is, you know, should I just go, you know, get a corporate job? Right. I mean, that's, you know, I can't even imagine, but, um, 
you know, like what, what have you thought about? Like, what's the first thing you're going to do? Like find the business that, that you want and, you know, you get the deal done and you come in and like, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking like, Oh, it's probably going to be technology after, you know, having a conversation, but it didn't have to be. I'm just curious, like, you know, from a sort of emotional psychological perspective, like after everything you've been through, what, what are you most excited for? Uh, uh, you talk about like what I want to do with the business or what I do personally. Well, I guess either. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I'm ready to like, just turn off my email for my, <laughs> my mom's capital email. I mean, I've yeah. gotten probably 45 emails since we've been on the, this call. Wow. And it's just, I look forward to it. And, and most of it is junk. It's brokers emailing me with businesses I don't care about. And yeah. I look forward to just never having to look at that again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. From like a business standpoint, you know, when I when I acquire the business and I and when you and when I partner with the management and uh, you're you're giving the speech to all the employees and hey we're excited for your uh, be a part of this journey that we're going to continue to grow the company all together and uh, you know looking forward to the success that we're going to have. Really, there's not going to be much change in the first 90, 180 days. It's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, keep doing what you, you buy a great company and you just add to it. You don't shift resources. You don't, you know, you just let it continue to grow. Uh, give it your extra touch. Give it your extra edge. To me, it's data. And to me, it's software and technology. Plug that in with what they're already doing. All right, folks. Well, there we have it. Appreciate you, Mike, for um, sharing that story with us. And what a one-man uh, force here that, that Mike is. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, the sort of technology components that Mike is, is using um, are, are relatively simple. Certainly the spirit of, of what he's doing uh, is relatively simple. Um, some of these components obviously do not sort of, you know, scale to to meet the same challenges that uh, much larger firms have. But but we like to think that the simplicity of sort of the spirit of of what he's doing um, to fill his funnel and, and to kind of you know personalize outreach and and um, and compete is is certainly something that can be done at, at just about any scale with the right tools. Gonna send you off today with some uh, summer 2021 music. I am in between my vaccine doses. I'm hearing about a lot of friends and family getting vaccines, and I'm hearing this sort of idea of the Roaring Twenties. And so uh, with some nicer weather here in Colorado, I'm very much looking forward to uh, summer, hopefully being a sort of milestone for us to kind of start to feel some normalcy. So I am going to uh, uh, play for you the sort of uh, sound that I hear when I think about summer 2021. I hope that uh, we're able to put some of the tragedy behind us, move on and enjoy uh, what we've learned through this, which is uh, the desire to be together. Uh, physically to share moments with friends and family, appreciate each other. And so here is my take on what summer 2021 may sound like. Hope you dig it. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you on the next one. Be well. Peace.